Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome uh, to all of our listeners. And today we've got uh, Elena Stroud here to talk to us, which is going to be great. Um, so welcome to another episode of our podcast called The Edge. Um, my question is going to be the same as I ask everyone else. I'm not going to change this first question. Um, so you're, you're going to know what it is. But kind of give us a little bit of background about kind of how you got into the industry, kind of what journey you took and kind of what you did today. And then we can branch out into a few other topics. Okay. Um, yeah, my journey is a little bit of a strange one. Um, I was I was kind of a jack of all trades, master of none, doing a bunch of different things. I was a single mom, so wherever the money was, that's kind of where I went. Um, I was driving Lyft full time for two years, fifty hour weeks. Um, it was a blast. I really loved it. But in December of two thousand nineteen, I had a passenger. Um, we were just making conversation like you do. He told me he was in cybersecurity. Um, I said, tell me a little bit about that. And I had always wanted to be in law enforcement when I was younger. My goal was to be in the FBI. And I actually had it so that my um, once I graduated high school, the police department would sponsor me until I was 20 and a half. And then at that point, I would go into Quantico for the FBI because you have to be 21 when you graduate their um, academy. But I, I wound up um, with a child like you do. And um, that kind of derailed so that passenger said, if you are, you know, analytical, detail oriented, you like law enforcement and solving puzzles, you should check out cybersecurity. There's not a lot of women in the industry. It's really growing. Um, he kind of dropped how much money he made. And I was like, oh, well, that's something to think about. He told me the school that he went to. Um, and I went home uh, that night. I don't believe in coincidences. So I researched it. I looked into the school and um talked with a couple of people that were in the industry and I enrolled and I started January a month later and uh, graduated in June of 2020, got my security plus a month later. And here I am today. <laughs> it's been pretty crazy. I've managed to touch a couple of different um, niches within cyber just because there's so many different areas that you can go into. Um, there were so many things that pulled my attention that I was curious about. So I checked out GRC, I checked out third-party risk management, vendor risk management, um, security assessments. I worked in a SOC. My first role was in a SOC. I did that for a year. I really loved it. Um, and now I work for Huntress and I'm a technical content writer. I work with our threat ops analysts and the research and development team and uh, whatever like case studies they wanna bring to light or malware deconstruction they wanna do. They'll hand me something that they've written and it's kind of my job to I hate to say dumb it down, but just bring it into more normal language for everyday people so that they can understand it. I add narrative. I make this, you know, I take the bones that they give me and I add muscle and skin. I make it a body and so that it's a story and it flows and it's more interesting and fun that way. So before we get on to anything more kind of cyber, Lyft is the same as Uber, right? Because we don't have Lyft here. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I thought same it concept. was. And, and I mean... I have total respect for you being a technical writer because before I joined the company I'm at now, I'd never done really any kind of blogs or articles. I, I'd, I'd stood up on stage and I'd had a lot of help from people like yourselves doing the technical writing. Um, but I was never very good at English um, at school. In fact, I had to take it a number of times before I passed. It was the only thing I was pretty poor at. I was very good at mathematics and science, but not very good at English. So for me, kind of transitioning over into this role where I now have to write LinkedIn posts and articles and all of that kind of stuff. I actually found quite stressful. I've been doing it for about a year now. We've got a really good team of people that help and, and John's been helping me. 
Um, I tend to write like I talk, um, obviously without the funny accent, um, but I very much kind of write as I talk and it doesn't always make a great article. Um, I guess the first question I really want to ask you is kind of women in cyber. And, and it's always a difficult question. And it's one of those things that are talked about all the time. Um, but because you're relatively new I, in the role, I guess you haven't grown as me and John have like 50 plus years together in, in IT. We never saw any females in in the roles we, we filled for a long period of time. And me and John talk about how we think it's important to have kind of a diverse workforce and certainly in IT and cyber. And I think people come in from different cultures, different sexes, different areas across the globe and all mingling together helps us get to a kind of a, a better place. Um, but I'm curious to know as someone that's entered the, the industry relatively recently, were there any barriers? Do you think being, being a woman and, and being a single mother caused you any problems? Did it help you? Did it hinder you? I'd just be curious to ask the question. Um, actually, no. So my son has grown. That's not an issue anymore. He's in his early 20s. But um, I have not encountered any sort of sexism, any sort of um, like biases or no gatekeeping, which has been really nice. My first job, I was the only female, and I worked with a bunch of 23-year-old RIT grads, so I was like sock mom. Um, but it was fun because being female, I brought skills and qualities and a thought process to the team that wasn't there previously, and there were processes that I got to own that I was a little better at than the other gentlemen that I worked with just because of how my brain works. And like you said, I think that's really important to have diversity. There, I loved working in the all-male atmosphere. I'm kind of a tomboy. So when when that passenger mentioned cyber and that it was, you know, we needed more women, I thought that could be really fun because I like working with men. I like how guys think. They tend to be very direct and analytical, logical. Um, my second cyber role, there was a ton of women, a ton. And I was like, wow, this is really shocking to see all of these super smart women and all of these, you know, we had engineers, we had people over in software, we had people in architecture, and it's the same at Huntress. There's a lot of really incredible smart women. The director of our R&D department is just, you know, her background goes a long way, and she's been doing this a long time. And <clears throat> she actually did share a story of when she was, um, I think they were in London for a conference, and they still had their their badges around their necks. And one of the waiters started talking to the gentleman that she was sitting there with. And she kept trying to interject her story and like her viewpoint on things. And the waiter didn't really want to hear from her and it really upset her. So I think that it exists out there. But as far as what I've experienced, I have not. And I've been really grateful for that. And I do um, informational interviews for recent grads for the school, the tech school that I went to. And some of the girls do ask that question, you know, am I going to come up against barriers? Am I going to be taken seriously? Well, of course, you know, you're still a human and yeah. you still have the same knowledge as this person over here. So just it's more about confidence because that imposter syndrome will murder you if you let it. And um, that that one's hard to get past because that's all up here. Nobody else can yeah. can influence that thought. That has to be you overcoming that. So let's transition over to ransomware. Um, 
there's there's always something in the news, whether it's a, a hack or a, a well-known company. Um, the latest one seems to be VMware's ESXi. Um, it uh, is is being impacted now. Um, you know, in your role, uh, you, you're doing a lot of technical writing, um, as well as you mentioned, breaking down some of these cyber attacks. Um, is there any hope? Is there any hope for ransomware? Are, are we going to ever overcome it? Uh, do you see a path? Uh, and, and what are some of the recommendations? Uh, I actually read this really long article the other day on ransomware and the outlook for 2023. And no, I don't see an end in sight. Um, I don't, because every time we find a way to combat them and best them at one type of, you know, attack vector, they come up with something else. Now they're doing intermittent encryption, and it looks like normal processes in, in the network. So um, I, I don't even begin to know how, I mean, legislation is going to be huge. But again, how can I think the problem really, and this is what I love about Huntress, is we cater to the small and medium-sized businesses, the companies that struggle with implementing controls. They don't have the budgets. They don't, they can't afford a sock. They can't afford cyber insurance sometimes. So um it's really challenging to be able to find ways to overcome this, especially with all the layoffs. So when the pandemic happened, so many people went on the dark web and they started finding work there that they could do that would bring in some money to pay their bills. And it's not good work. Obviously, it's criminal activity, but in desperate times call for desperate measures. And I worry seeing all of these layoffs that the same thing is going to happen. People are going to take to the dark web and find other means to provide for their families. And, you know, now you've got ransomware as a service. Like honestly, it's since I entered the industry three years ago, it's only gotten more sophisticated, more complicated. Um, it's grown. They have their own business models now, their own hierarchies, their processes and like they're legitimate businesses. So I don't even know how we would begin to combat that. And they want to start laws where it's illegal to pay ransoms and okay, that's great. We shouldn't. I don't think we should pay ransom because that's just perpetuating the problem. But at the same time, some of these companies that don't, it cripples them. They can go out of business. It's And then they target education. Some of these schools, there was one over in, uh, I think, the UK that was this tiny little school for orphans or something. And they're like, where do we come up with this? How do we even get our backups? Like they didn't even know what to do. And the poor, the one guy in IT that was running everything racking his brain trying to figure it out i just i feel really bad for them but i don't really know what the answer is i i try to read you know articles every morning and and stay up to date with it to see if i can have an idea and i don't i think some of what you've said there is critical i think no longer is this kind of a spotty teenager sitting in their bedroom hacking um and i'm not saying that's what every hacker was um but this is it's not just kind of businesses, it's it's countries going to war with cyber. Um, it's changed from kind of traditional wars that we're we're familiar with, and I wish we weren't, but we are, um, to kind of cyber wars. And I don't know. I agree that we shouldn't pay the ransoms. I, I, do, I do agree there. But equally, a lot of these companies don't need the funding. They're getting funded elsewhere. The ransom really is a, a small proportion, and it's just... 
they'll, they'll continue doing this. And yeah, but but is it? But is it? I mean, if if the ransom is lesser than the impact on the business, it's it's an easy calculation for you know a, an executive to go look. Yep. You know, I, I could be down for days, months. Um, or I can pay a million dollars in Bitcoin. Um, and, and, you know, to the point there, uh, there are mechanisms where, you know, Bitcoin as a service and, and pay your ransom. Uh, those things are, are real uh, options out there. So it's a, it's a business risk calculation. And the government legislating it and saying, and thou shalt not pay ransoms. Uh, good luck. Uh, Godspeed. Well, there's yeah. also, you don't know if you're going to get all your data back. Or get it back at all. There's just no guarantee. Yeah. They're criminals. There's no, you know, they don't sit there and, and pray at night to be forgiven for there's they don't care. So they want your money. And that's yeah. that's honestly the part that I struggle with as far as paying the ransom goes. Like, are you for sure going to get all of your data back in the way that it was taken from you? Second of all, um, it's just really hard. And then on the other hand, too, what if, uh, you know, you pay the ransom and then you don't do anything? You don't change your practices. You don't implement new security functions. And um, two months later, you know, the, the person they comes knocking again. at the door again and they hit you again. I've seen yeah. that uh, you know, as well in the yes. news. Well, we've seen it in the UK and I won't mention any company names, but they've been hit six times in five years. And it's like, well. T-Mobile. Oops, sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, that, it's, I mean. It's, it's it's like it's like Vito Corleone, you know, he's walking down the street and, and it was at Brooklyn and he's knocking on the door as you know, here's my monthly and you need to pay my monthly protection fees. And I think the difficulty is, is I, I agree. I mean, it is a business choice. I mean, if it's going to cost you five million dollars or ten million dollars or even put your company out of business in the, and the ransom's a million, it's a no brainer for people sitting on the board. Right. But if you put that million into better cyber tools and better staff and all the stuff that goes with it, maybe you wouldn't have got hit in the first place. Um, and I, I think I, I said that exact same thing on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago yeah. and people didn't agree with me, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, instead of constantly struggling and getting hit multiple times and having to pay out, take that money and be proactive with it, tighten up your controls, add some people to your payroll yeah. that can monitor these things get us you know um i won't i won't product pitch but there are companies out there that are affordable that can monitor your network for you and yeah. it's it's not always doesn't always have to be super expensive to take small measures to at least do something for your company and and to be honest i think that's where zero trust comes in um for me a lot of the issues we see today, and not not all of them are going to be fixed overnight with a magic wand, but a lot of the issues we see today is because there's trust. It's trust on the network. We trust the users. We trust things, and 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 that kind of makes things more attackable. Um, so there's definitely a lot of talk in the press about zero trust. Obviously, you've got the executive order. We talk about it quite a lot, but I truly help it will limit some of these problems. Um, there is a concern, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, if we stop attack a or we just opening the door to attack b um but but i think we've done the same thing for as long as i can remember as long as it's been around we've had kind of trust trusted users trusted devices and i think we need to change and i i think zero trust is going to help with that i truly do believe it's a strategy and not a product and we've talked about this before but are you starting to 
hear more about zero trust? I mean, obviously you've got the executive order, but it's it's starting to make noise now over there in the US. Yes. Yes. When I started uh, into cyber three years ago, it was already starting to be, you know, a concept that people were trying to push and share. And I will say the company I'm at now, um, we're not entirely zero trust, but we have a lot of re-authenticating going on. And, you know, the average user is not going to like that. It's It interrupts the flow of your workday. It's a pain in the butt. And it's like, okay, great. But do you want somebody being able to come along right after you using your session cookie or whatever the case may be to get right back into what you were doing and then laterally move through the network? Or do you want to just have to pick up your phone and add in your your little authentication code? And it takes five less than five seconds. So people are really going to need to switch out of this. I need something instant gratification. I need They need to switch out of this instant gratification mindset and understand that we are not, this is not the 80s anymore. This is not the 90s anymore. People are sophisticated and they will find ways to work around and get in. Um, I think that's honestly the biggest challenge is getting all of the employees, the the normal average user on board. And it's also, exp- it's a little bit expensive to have zero trust architecture. It's It's a lot of work. It's a lot of implementation going on, but I do think it's worth it. And I do agree with uh, the concepts that I've heard on your other podcasts around it. I think it reminds me of a lot of things that went on when I was younger. Like I remember walking down the street and every house was unlocked and open. The door was open and people didn't like the fact that suddenly there were locks on doors and alarm systems. It was the same with cars. You used to be able to take any key and open any car. Nobody really complains now that you lock your front door and you lock the car. Like they understand the reasons behind doing those things because your car would get stolen or a house would get burgled. People are going to start seeing that when their companies are being compromised. And therefore, why can't we be a little bit proactive? And instead of waiting until we pay the ransom and then reacting to paying the ransom because we've been attacked, can't we start making these kind of things a strategy? Um, Because the problem we've got now is supply chains interconnect so many businesses it used to be very much like you could protect your own business and not worry about anyone else. But now everyone, like all the way along that supply chain, right from the single person, maybe soldering one screw or doing one thing all the way up to the top, it doesn't take a lot to compromise anywhere in that chain. And you will traverse potentially across all of those networks. And it reminds me of like having a tunnel between all the houses in the street. Break into one house, just use the tunnel to get to every other house. Um and and I just think it's the direction we have to go in. Um, but I want to pivot back just to something else you said a little bit before, and, and you brought kind of the topic of people into things and, and talking from a people point of view. And I'd be curious to talk a little bit about kind of cyber burnout. I mean, it's an industry that's hard. Um, we We talk quite a lot about there are quite a lot of kind of people entering the industry that haven't been in it, haven't been brought up in it. And they're having to deal with cyber threats and cyber attacks. And and you said that there was a, the the orphanage in the UK, there was one IT person and that IT person is probably wearing every single hat, IT infrastructure, network security. They've probably got so many kind of hats that their heads were like weighing down. That must be really quite a difficult environment to work in. I mean, luckily enough for me and John, we had teams around us. I had a great team. I know John had a great team. So therefore, 
yes, you had to have kind of broad shoulders to to shoulder a lot of that kind of pressure from above. But I don't think either me or John had to deal with the level that there is now. Like if it, I, we had downtime in the business I worked in, we we had some human error downtime and we had some hardware failure type downtime. We didn't get compromised or we didn't know at least we've been compromised. Um, and I had to have some really difficult conversations, walk into the board and, and sit down and explain this hard drive's gone and we've lost this or that's gone or or the backup failed or, or stuff like that. But they understood. They were like, stuff fails. I mean, physical equipment fails. How do you go in and sit down with the board and say, I'm the CISO, I'm totally responsible for everything cyber, but we've been hacked. We've been compromised. And I'm, I guess a lot of CISO would like to turn around and go, because you didn't give me enough money or you didn't let me have enough staff or you didn't have the right culture or whatever it might be, because it's not just one thing, it's a multitude of things. Um, but are, are you, in, in, in kind of the work you do and the articles you see, do you see cyber burnout as a thing that's, it's happening a lot is it is it kind of on your radar yeah actually we wrote an article um me and john hammond and, and dre aga at my work and it was just cyber predictions for 2023 just some of the more softer subjects that we wanted to touch on and burnout was one of them even for people that are still trying to break in that it's a lot of work between when I graduated and when I got my first job, I spent those six months. I was strategic about what I was doing, but I spent those six months networking my butt off. I was on LinkedIn every day, hours a day. It was a full-time job in itself to establish myself, create a brand, get out there, build a network, build a community, um, establish myself as a professional. Like I actually know some things. I, I want to join in these conversations and talk with you guys. And there were days that I had 50 plus notifications and I was exhausted. I didn't want to go through and read all of them. I didn't want to go through and answer, but you have to, like I had to, for me, I had to, in order to create the identity that I wanted to have in this industry. So it is tiring. And there are times that I take a week off from LinkedIn or a week off from reading articles or just anything cyber. I want to do anything other than cyber, please, <laughs> because it's it's a lot. It's always changing. And that's, you know, when I'm doing those interviews with the recent graduates, that's something that I really kind of stress to them. This industry is constantly changing. Technology changes every single day. I got my security plus in 2020 and a month later they changed to 601. So it was like, cool, already my knowledge is outdated and I've only had this certification for one month. So you have to stay on top of it you have to care. You have to be passionate. You have to be driven. And it's not one of those industries where you can just get the job and then cool. No, you still have to keep learning. You still have to keep up yeah. with stuff. You still have to care. And um, I think most of us that are here already have that mindset and we like it. That's that's why we're here. We like the constant change and constantly chasing after different things. It's exciting for me. So I'm never bored, but it's definitely to the point where you need to take that mental break. And I love that my company offers <clears throat> um, a certain amount of hours every year for wellness. That if we just need a, a mental health day, no questions asked, bye, take your time, go take a walk in the park, whatever you want, take a day trip. So, and I, I, I feel like people really feel like they are just not doing themselves a service or they're failing their companies if they're not constantly learning or chasing after another certification. And that kind of makes me sad because it doesn't have to be that hardcore. It doesn't. But 
you do need to stay on top of it. I, I think, sorry, go, I, on, go on. Yeah, no, I think you raise a great point there because um, for me, it's, it's, you're right. It's a mindset. Um, and I'm more driven. I, 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 I want to continue the work. I feel guilty if I'm not online. Um, I feel guilty if I take the dog for a walk in the middle of the day. Uh, but you need those, you need those, that time to decompress, to uh, transition. And um, on top of that, this, uh, you know, recent switch to more of this hybrid model where we do have Zoom instead of meetings um, has put me in a situation where, you know, it's back to back to back to back and um, trying to get that transition point away from, you know, this meeting over here on this topic to this other topic to this other topic to talking to a prospect to, you know, hey, we've got to meet with the social team. Um, that's hard. It's it's really hard. And uh, for me to try to try to take a break uh, and, and walk away from it is hard, too, because it, it, it triggers my guilt. And, and you know, I'm not I'm not 100 percent focused on work. So I, I think you hit it on the head there, mental health and and companies need to realize that and almost in a sense, uh, allow maybe even incent their employees to um, every once in a while, take a little break and, and reset because burnout is a real thing. I, I suffered from it. Um, I've, I've been very public about it. And um, that's, that's not helping you as a company. It's not helping your your success. Um, so yeah. Anyway, I want to want to double click on on something you were talking about of, about getting into the the business. Um, you put your head down and 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 move forward on it. Um, what were some of the takeaways, uh, if you could, for folks out there looking to get into the business? Um, your journey, obviously, you've had great success. Um, if you could take away some of the the top tips and and provide them out there, what would they be? My my message is always the same: network, network, network. Um, I landed three of my jobs through LinkedIn, and that was companies coming to me, including Huntress. I was not looking for this role; I did not know it existed. Um, they ended up in my private messages and asked if I was interested in a role. And yes, actually, I I am. That sounds fantastic. So if I didn't network, if I didn't keep my LinkedIn profile up to date with everything that I'm doing, everything that I've learned, if I wasn't out there putting my face where people can see it so they know I exist, these jobs would not have come to me. And that was the whole point. My mentor, when he taught me how to use LinkedIn, that's exactly what he told me. You want the jobs to come to you. You don't want to be sitting there applying into the void over and over and over, getting discouraged, losing your steam because you're not hearing back from anybody. You're not getting any interviews. So this is a little bit more work, but this will pay off dividends in, in the long run. And it really has. So again, I would take breaks. I felt that was important because if I didn't take time to stop and go do something else and come back refreshed, I would kind of lose sight of what I was doing this for because it was just constant, constant, constant. And I would, I would get tired and I would stop caring. So breaks were definitely something that I did and that I am a proponent of and um, finding things that I was interested in. So like I mentioned earlier, there's so many different niches in cyber, so many different, every day I'm learning. So I learned what LOL bins are the other day and I shared it on LinkedIn. Like who else doesn't know what LOL bins are? And there was a bunch of people that were like, oh my gosh. So I really like 
just diving into little things that constantly keep my interest peaked so that I'm learning something new. And it's like, okay, that's exciting. That's cool. Instead of the same old stuff all the time, or just beating the same drum. Um, I really think that's about it. Um, engaging conference. There's a lot of introverted, shy people in this industry and I really feel for them. Um, but it's, it's, I'm of the opinion that it's really hard to be shy in this industry because if people don't know who you are or what you're doing or what your skill set is, they can't find you to utilize you. You might not get that job that you really want because you're too shy to speak up and go maybe talk to another employee that works there or reach out and introduce yourself to the hiring manager, whatever the case may be. So that's, I'll stop there because I tend to ramble, but that's kind of what I did. No, I think that's a lot of good advice. I mean, I'm not a shy person. That's no surprise to John, I guess. Um, but the advice I've I've always given people that I've kind of tried to help through their careers is is to network. And I mean, I'm talking before LinkedIn kind of existed. I'm talking go to events, go to face-to-face events, go around and shake people's hands, introduce yourself. Um, I think LinkedIn's made it easier for people that are happy to get out there and 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 post and make a name for themselves. But like you said, there are a lot of introverts in in IT and security. And my concern is a lot of companies may overlook those people. Um, and they're because, brilliant people. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and, and as we said at the kind of start of this call, you need a diverse team. You need the extroverts. You need the introverts. I mean, you need people of all walks of life because they all have different opinions and they all kind of help come up with the best solution. And, and I, I remember having a, a team of like six people and, and five of us used to do a lot of stuff together. And one person just d- didn't want to do it. Um, and that was fine. But I remember him approaching me and saying, I feel like I'm left out. I feel like I'm not participating in the kind of going on nights out and having dinner. And I was young in my career and I was a bit naive. And and I remember thinking, this is quite important to this person. I, I don't want this person to feel left out. And I remember sitting down with them and going, what would you want to do if we could all get together as a team and you don't want to go out drinking and partying or go-karting or the kind of those kind of things, what would, what would you like to do? And he said he liked playing retro computer games. He had a, he had a, a garage. Uh, in his house and he had a lot of those kind of table retro machines um, and he said he would love for everyone to go around have a couple of beers get some pizza no pineapple obviously um and play kind of retro games and i remember asking the other team members kind of in private one-to-one i didn't do it as a group and say are, are you cool with this these are kind of the reasons why i think this is a good idea and they were all like, absolutely, because they they wanted it to be a team. That sounds fun, yeah. So that's what we did. I mean, it was a we did it several times. It was cool. We had a pool table. We'd go and play pool as well. And slowly over time, we really enjoyed kind of doing those things and not going out. But then now and again, he, w- he would come out. And we were like, absolutely cool. So it, that really worked. So I think to go back to kind of encouraging people to network, I, I think absolutely great but at their own pace kind of it's, I mean, we, we all know there's an awful lot of people that we all know that are really active on LinkedIn. have got 50,000 followers, 40,000 followers. Now they're, they're not necessarily 
extroverted they might be introverted but they've just been able to do that and and right. i mean to go slightly back to the the burnout topic and one of the things that J- john mentioned was that we've been through it and i've learned to be able to know when i'm getting tired and when i need to take those breaks i know that if i'm trying to write an article or do something and, and i'm not getting anywhere get up go for a walk get some sunshine um maybe just get a coffee do something else but i've had a few decades of kind of learning myself and learning what i am able to do and not do it makes me a little bit nervous because if i look back on my 20 year old self firstly i had a lot more energy or at least i believed i did i believed i recovered quicker but i also know how much damage i did by not doing the things that i do today um, and I saw an, a, quite an interesting article on, on LinkedIn, I think it was yesterday, about um, working late in the evening. Someone had posted that they sat there at nine o'clock in the morning and nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. And then it got to 10 o'clock at night and they were about to go to bed. Their brain wakes up and off they go. They write an article. Now, I have that. I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm bad in the mornings, um, but I'm definitely more of a night owl. When I've studied, when I've done exams, I did my MBA recently, it all happened 10 o'clock at night till two in the morning. Um, And I think some of us have the luxury of being able to do that. I I work in an environment where I don't clock in and clock out. I work in an environment where I get measured on my output, which is great. Um, But I think some companies need to think about that a bit more. And don't get me wrong, if you drive a lift or you work in a shop and your hours are nine till five you're not going to be able to do that but if you're working in something where you're using your kind of brain like then you have to work when your brain works i mean i know john John feels the same Um, there's a guy on uh youtube that i watch tom bilyeu he has a show called impact theory and he has one called health theory but he had a sleep doctor on there who was talking about just that that we all require different amounts of hours of sleep based on our brains and how we operate. And we also operate best at different hours of the day. And there was a case study that he mentioned. It might even have been a Joe Dispenza, actually, to come to think of it. But anyways, um, he was talking about a lady who just could not get to work at 8 a.m. She couldn't do it. She was constantly late. They were going to try to fire her. And this doctor had been working with her and he called her boss and said, look, let her come in two hours later and see what her output is like. Don't fire her. Give it a week. Just try a week and let her come in at 10 and see what her output is like. And it was like night and day. She came in two hours later. Her brain was able to function much differently. And she put out like she became one of the most productive employees that that guy had. So we all absolutely do work and operate differently. And um, we have a copywriter on my team that tends to do her best work at different times. And she struggles, yeah. you know, during the day. And I, I feel bad because I'm a morning person. So I'm ready to get up and, and get going. And other people are like, I can't wake up till noon. And it's not because there's anything wrong with them. That's just how they function best. I, I also find it difficult to, I mean, I think I'm okay at multitasking, but I, if it's something quite intense, I struggle. Like if I have to write an article, say today, I'd need a break between recording the podcast and doing that. My, I, I, I need to kind of almost take that bit in my head and put it somewhere else and load the new thing in. 
Um, if it's something relatively simple, fine, I can switch. But me and John both wear several hats, and going from a hat one to, to kind of hat two can, can be a bit of a struggle. Um, but let, let's just pivot on to something else. I, I saw you post something, um, and it's not a great story. I saw you post something about a, a boy committing suicide um, recently. And, I mean, it's an awful story. I know there's more than the one you've posted. There, there's stuff going on. I mean, I've got friends that have been cyberbullied. I've got friends that have been compromised. I've got friends with children that are kind of young, and and, and this stuff's going on. Um, and we, we spoke to Chase Cunningham about training kind of younger generation, and it's something I spoke with other people about. Um, I truly think cyber needs to be a, a school um it needs to be on the curriculum it needs to be something that everybody learns at every age because for a long period of time i would go to visit someone's house and no matter what computer issue they had it was you're the computer guy go and fix it and it could be anything from their playstation to their wii to whatever it was just like no one understood it and and no one really wanted to but i don't think we can be like that any longer i think there's too much going on i quite often get my mum phone me and go i've received a text message is it a scam now that used to be easy three years ago to, to know it's a scam now i mean i i've had text messages from um hmrc which is our tax authority and and i'm like I am due to pay my tax at the end of January. This looks very legitimate. I don't want to click on the link. And even the link looked good. Um, but I mean, I've been doing it for decades. How do we go about educating the younger generation? I mean, you said at the start of the call, I think you said your son was 20. Um, are they aware of what's going on? Or, or, or I don't want to frighten children or, or frighten teenagers. I don't want this to be something that affects people's lives because it could do if they're frightened of doing anything, but is it something they're aware of of that generation? And what do you think we should do about it? Um, so I do talk with my son about it. I actually sent him that article and I said, you know, I just want you to be aware because this is the type of stuff that happens. And like I said, in my post, most of them are like, yeah, I know. Okay, mom. Okay, well, just stop for a second and listen, because I do work in the industry now, and it does look very legitimate. I've accidentally blocked legitimate texts from Verizon, thinking somebody was, you know, you don't know. Um, you just don't know unless you do a little bit of research, and things look so legitimate between emails and text messages these days. You can click on a Google ad, and now you've got malware. Um Something that someone had mentioned on that particular post was we should perhaps start putting this curriculum into elementary, middle school, high school, just like home ec. You know, um, I don't think back in the day it mattered as much, but now it does. These people are handing their two-year-olds iPads to keep them busy. Now, granted, a two-year-old isn't going to understand, but they're already starting from a very young age. So, and children are way smarter than they're given credit for. They are constant sponges. They are seeing, they are hearing. So I don't think it's too far-fetched to start, you know, in elementary school teaching them, hey, this thing that you're using, you know, this can be 
a danger if used improperly. There's things you need to look out for. Um, there was a gaming company. I won't I won't name names, but there was a gaming company that was sued millions of dollars because their privacy practices and their um, child controls broke like COPPA and FERPA laws and mainly COPPA. But, you know, children are targeted more because companies think they don't understand and they're purchasing things online without consent. They, they don't realize that they're even making purchases. Um, they're going... There are even YouTube videos with things embedded in them that you know, young children are seeing and parents have no idea what their kids are doing. And that's honestly what scares me the most is so many parents, well, we don't have time. We're trying to work and pay our bills. I'm sorry. I don't think that's responsible. I don't. You can't hand your child technology and say, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. I don't have time to teach you how to protect yourself. And then now you just killed yourself in the bedroom because somebody got you with something like that's irreversible when you could have taken 10 minutes to just have a talk with your kid. So I don't like that tech companies, I feel like they are doing this, just my opinion. I feel like they target the more uneducated crowd and they make opting out of things really hard to find. They make parental controls really difficult and convoluted to access. Just make it simple. Why can't it just be privacy by design, security by design, right from the start? And then if they wanna open up those features, let them open up those features. Um, that's, that's my two cents. See, I, I think we've got the luxury of understanding things better because we work in the industry. So therefore we can explain it to our children better. I relate it to the fact that I've got some neighbors. One of them is really good at maths and one of them is really good at English. So when the children come home from school, one teaches them the maths homework, one teaches them the English homework, because they're not confident of teaching something they don't understand. So how do you teach your children about something that you don't understand? However, if no one teaches our children about stuff, when they become parents, they're not going to teach their children. Um, but, J John, I'm going to kind of pivot over to you. I know you've got two children. One's a little bit older than the other. Your, your daughter's younger. Um, is it something that she learns at school, or is it down to you as, like, cyber guru to, to teach her stuff? Oh, I'm not a cyber guru by any means. Um my conversations generally, I've got a 15 year old. So, you know, he's launching into Snapchat and Instagram and all your social things. And I'm like, Jake, um, you, you've got to realize that, uh, anything you do online, uh, you post, you make a photo of it lives forever. Um, this is unlike when I was growing up, if you took a photo and it was a bad photo, you, you burned it. You know, you, you took the negatives, you cut them up and, you know, that was a, a story, a legendary story that your friends may or may not uh, remember. And if they remember it, they probably don't remember it clearly. Instagram, Snapchat, those things, the, the memory is is crystallized. It's a video. It's, it's there for all to see. And it's not just um, a photo you may have in your garage anymore. It's it's permanent. And, and we, I had to have this conversation with him because, you know, he started posting and I was like, oh, gosh, dude, you you, you got to stop it. Um, you just he's 15. He doesn't you know, he doesn't have the, the process of, of thinking through everything he does. It's it's in the moment. Uh, he's got a, you know, an urge or a feeling he's got to do something about. Um, so, you know, that's 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 him. And, and my daughter is a little different. She's nine. So. It's more about 
um, securing her um, accounts online and games that she plays. Uh, but uh, to the point, it, it, it's something we've talked about um, you know, several times, this concept of digital citizenry. Um, it's something that the schools need to teach, and it needs to be something along the lines of, you know, for us, reading, writing, and arithmetic in digital citizenry, because this isn't going away. Um, we talked about ransomware and, and how uh, there aren't a lot of good answers today, and that, you know, there's been the rise of ransomware as a service. I, I, I think I read it almost as like, I don't know, $1,000 to launch a ransomware attack. A firewall is a lot more expensive than that. Um, SSE is a lot more expensive than that. So um, the economics uh, favor the cyber attackers, uh, cyber attackers versus uh, the people defending. So what should happen? Um, we've got to we've got to educate people. We've got to instill a mindset in in the people coming up uh, that this is how you act in in this platform. Um, you know, it is it is a platform. It is a world. Uh, in a sense, it is a nation. So um, as a citizen, you need to act in this manner. And I think that's that's one of the answers. There's there's many answers out there uh, to solve this problem, but that's one of them. And it needs to be part of the curriculum for schools going forward. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's imperative to start teaching the younger generation. Um, I've also just looked at the clock and realized time's absolutely flying. It always does when you have fun. Um, so let's let's pivot over to a few fun questions, and I'm not going to ask you about pineapple on pizza because I'd just be concerned if you, you answer. Wouldn't like you my answer it. anyway. No, see, I know your answer there, <laughs> but I can see you've got Marvel stuff in the background. Is that your Marvel stuff? Yes, it is. So I'm going to ask you a question about Marvel. What is your favorite Marvel film? That's a toughie. That's a toughie. Um, probably Captain America: Civil War. That's pretty much what drew the line in the sand for me. Because <clears throat> um, prior to that, I was I was an Iron Man fan. I love the the quippy, sharp, you know, one-liners, yep. the zingers, and you know, he's incredibly intelligent. But um, that one, I was like, okay, um, I am on Cap's side because I just you should be doing what's right. Like you should be doing what's right for the greater good, and. Um, I really appreciated that he would not compromise on that, but they're they're all so good. See, I like Ragnarok because I just think it's really quite it's hilarious. Funny. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they tried to do it with the recent one, Love and Thunder, whatever it's called, and I thought it was a bit poor, to be honest. Um, I haven't seen it. I, I enjoyed it actually. I I, I like the I comedy part it. of it. Yeah, and I, I know DC's DC's been trying to incorporate it, and they just it's it's a lot about storytelling. So. I thought it just went a bit too far. Um, uh, but anyway, jo John, I'll let you ask one, and 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 then if you don't ask about food, I'm going to. All right. So let's let's talk um, travel, uh, vacations. Uh, if you had anywhere in the world to go to, where would it be, and what would you do? I really so top of the bucket list is London. Not really sure why. Um, I mean, there's so many movies, so many books that I've read. A lot of literature, everything is based over in London. And it's just this like idealized, romanticized place that I really want to end up. I really want to try legitimate fish and chips. Um, I want Don't to go do that in London. <laughs> so tell me where. Tell me where. Um, on the coast. I the UK in general. Yeah. It'd be awesome. We have uh, some employees over there. So if I make it over, 
which I'm hoping to, I'm going to meet up with them. Um, but yeah, I just want to walk in like the rainy street and, um, I don't know. I love their accents. It's a lot of fun. I think some of the older parts of London are, are nice. Go to an old English pub. There are still quite a lot from the 1400s. Go yeah. in some of the quaint little streets, um, Buckingham Palace, the parks. I mean, I very rarely ever go into London other than for a conference and I go in and out. But every time I've ever had someone visit, primarily from the US, I, I will go in and take them around. Um, but you also need to get out and see Oxford, Cambridge, kind of the the real old cities bath is a good one um fish and chips you'll get fish and chips in london but it's it's fundamentally seafood you need to be near the ocean so go to to one of the the ocean like seaside resorts and you'll get much much better fish and chips it'll be cheaper okay. it'll be more traditional um if you do ever come over let me know and i can point you in the right direction um okay. But I'm going to ask you about food because food food's a thing. I mean, I John's trying to make me eat all kinds of different stuff and pineapple on pizza, for instance, just just wrong. Um, what's been your favorite meal and and where was it? And the reason I ask where it was is because for me, some of my most favorite meals are not necessarily because the meal was great, but because the whole experience was great. So that's why I kind of ask. So what's been your best kind of food experience, we'll call it? Um, probably when I lived in Hawaii, I was, we lived on Oahu for six years when I was in, um, elementary to middle school and we went to the Polynesian cultural center and they had a luau. So they, um, buried the pig in the tea leaves and the Kalua pig and there was fresh poi. Um, it was all things that I hadn't ever tried before. And I don't really eat meat now. I'm pescatarian, but that was some of the best, that was the best Kahlua pig that I've ever had. Um, the poi was really different. I wouldn't say that I was like hankering to have some more, but I enjoyed what I ate. It was a new experience. Um, and there's no sticky rice, like the rice that I had in Hawaii. That was just really good stuff. Spam musubi. <laughs> Spam musubi was really, really good over there. Um, so yeah, Hawaii has a lot of diverse food because there's a lot of there's Koreans yeah. and Vietnamese and um I really love the food in Hawaii. Kimchi, chow fun, yeah. I could go on, but yeah. So I've never been to Hawaii. It's on my I, list of places yeah, to go. Garlic garlicky shrimp is another big thing on the north uh yeah. the north side there. Um yeah, Hawaii has it, it's it's a it's this influence to your point, it's this influence of cultures in a melting pot that just comes together in a really good way. And on top of that, if you go in for seafood, there's a lot of fresh seafood. So, yeah. and, and as well, uh, the beef, um, if you, you know, pull from Kona, uh, there's a lot of cattle farms up there. So it's an amazing place. I need to get there at some point, but I mean, I'd really like to thank you for coming on. It's been yeah, great. Thank you. Um, the, the time's flown. I mean, what we're trying to do in the future is circle back and kind of interview people again and talk to them again after a couple of months. So we'll be reaching out. Um, but again, uh, thank you. And, and John, anything you want to add before we wrap? No, this was a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thank you very I much. really appreciate the invite. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, please give The Edge a like and a follow on your favorite podcast service. 
and also connect with the SSC Forum on LinkedIn. Get all the latest updates and news on the phenom known as the Security Service Edge.